welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name is Jenna. If we haven't met, like I said before, I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, welcome to you. Like I mentioned, we were in uh, the Dominican Republic this past week. Uh, potentially wanting to create a, engage a, a global partnership with a church there. Uh, and we had such a fun time, it was a blast. I wanted to share kind of a funny story with you about uh, one of my experiences there. Uh, so obviously in the Dominican they speak Spanish, and I got to use my best Spanish sentence quite a bit, which is, como te llamas? What is your name? And then I would obviously say, me llamo Jenna. And when I would tell kids and people my name, I usually would get a little bit of like a, Jenna? Yeah, yeah, Jenna. And I just figured hard J's, man, can be really tough to say. Uh, I didn't really think anything of it. And then on one of the last nights we were there, Manuel, one of our translators, came up to me and he said, Jenna, do you know what your name means in Spanish? (laughs) And I'm like, no. And I genuinely, I was so excited to hear because in English it means small bird, which is (laughs) kind of stupid. And I'm ready, you know, Micah's name means one who is like God, right? So I'm ready for like a really good uh, meaning of my name. And uh, Manuel looks at me and he says, well, it means hyena. I just about, <laughs> that was the funniest. Dude, I mean, I'm going around and saying, hi, hyena, nice to meet you. <laughs> so no wonder that was confusing. But yeah, it, it was a really fun time, and we are really excited for what that will bring. Uh, we are in a series on prayer this morning. Last week, Dan opened that, uh, and really it helped us uh, set the framework for what this series will look like. Uh, answer the question, what is prayer? What does scripture say about prayer? And I would like to be in a similar vein this morning. Um, Prayer is actually something I have been thinking about quite a bit the last few months, especially since I've become a pastor. It turns out it's important. Uh, And I'm not very good at it, truth be told. Um, And as I was engaging what prayer is and, and thinking about it, this question, which is very typical of me if you know me, Uh, kept bubbling up to the top, and it just was, why? Why pray? Why is this particular practice distinct uh, to the people of God? Why is it necessary to pray? So uh, I would like to paint kind of a broad picture of why it is that we are people of prayer. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46, and I'd like to invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of the word. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Pray with me. God, for eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. You know what we bring into this room. And I ask that you would meet with us. That we would know a little bit more about who you are and your goodness. That you would begin to teach us what it means to be a people of prayer. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So quite simply today, what I want to do is observe what's happening in the text. I think the best interpretation starts with observation and noticing and asking good questions. So the first question I would ask is, where are we in the, neighbor, in the narrative? Jesus is at the end of his life. Him and his disciples are in Jerusalem for the Passover. They just had the Last Supper where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover together. Jesus institutes the new covenant where he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood which has been shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we practice this as communion. He's in the garden now of Gethsemane right before Jesus is arrested and tried and crucified. And this moment, you can hear it in the text, it is deeply heavy and sorrowful. And we get the sense that he is on the brink of experiencing abandonment and rejection and suffering and death. And here he is in the garden. Jesus asks his friends to be with him, to pray with him as he prays, Lord, take this cup, but I trust. And it's a terribly vulnerable and lonely moment, I would imagine, because the disciples just keep falling asleep. I don't know if you've ever had those moments when people just don't come through for you. And it seems as though this interaction is entirely held up by prayer. Jesus is praying and asking his disciples to pray with him before he begins to engage the end of his life. And so many of you know, I grew up in church. These stories are very familiar to me. They have burrowed their way into my heart. Oftentimes I read them and I know what happens before and I know what happens after. And if I were to be entirely honest, when I get to this particular part 
in the story when Jesus is in the garden and he's praying, it's always made me wonder, why is Jesus praying? And for some of you, that might not be a question that you ask, but for me, it is. Because this is how my brain approaches it. Jesus is human, and having a very human moment. But Jesus is also God. And I just get the sense that he knows what's going to happen. When he says, take this cup, he knows what the cup is. I don't know what he's asking the disciples to do because if you're praying for an outcome to be different and you're asking them to do it, they can't. So it's always confused me as to why it is that he's praying for a different outcome when it seems so clearly inevitable that you are about to walk into suffering and death. Is this a surprise to you? So why spend all of this emotional time and energy praying when nothing is going to change? And as I was sitting with the text and with my response and reactions, uh, the scriptures started to do what it is the scriptures start to do because, friends, usually the places of resistance and question, and not being able to connect with what you're reading, that is the place of invitation. So I sat with it, and I wrestled with it, and I pressed into that, and I realized, huh, turns out prayer for me is about the outcome. That is the only reason why we would ever pray, So why pray if you know something isn't going to change? Why would we pray if you are a single person for a partner when you're probably just meant to be single? Why would we pray for a baby when all of the doctors have told you your body just can't do it? Why would we pray for someone to change when they seem very, very set in their ways? Why would we pray for healing when it seems as though this life is going to end in cancer? Why spend the emotional energy hoping? (laughs) Because hope puts you in a very vulnerable place. You want something to change. But some things are final. And sometimes God doesn't move. So why pray? Well, maybe prayer is bigger than the outcome. Friends, prayer, I would say, is what cultivates relationship. One of the unique and distinct parts of who God is and how God acts within a Christian framework is that God is triune. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Said differently, God is inherently relational within his being. And it has taken centuries for that understanding of God to be developed. Uh, The word Trinity is actually not in the Bible. Uh, In fact, what is essential and foundational to our understanding of who God is, is that God is one. 
We are a people uh, who are monotheistic. We serve one God. So how is it that God can have three parts and still be one? So for theologians trying to figure out how it is that God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit relates and still be one, Christians in the first century actually used a Greek theater word that Micah, Micah has talked on this before. And the word is perichoresis. Perichoresis. And within the context of God and the Trinity, translated, it literally is, God is like a circle dance. God is ultimate relationality, dancing within the Godhead, dancing within creation, and then inviting creation to participate in the dance. And that is how we relate. This concept is found in many places throughout Scripture, but it's especially developed in John's Gospel. In John 17, Jesus is talking to the disciples in the upper room before he walks to his death, and he says this, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he looked upward to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. Just as you have given him authority over all humanity, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorify you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. And then again in 1614, he, the Spirit, will glorify me because he will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you, us, the disciples. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. In a little while, you will see me no longer. Again, after a little while, you will see me bit of a mind bender. <laughs> um, but you can see the dance in the text, that there is this relation and mutuality and interdependence that is happening between Father, Son, and Spirit. And then that that dance that's happening is extended to creation. This relational being has created other relational beings. And so for me, the question is, okay, so what, is that, what does that mean? Those are great deep thoughts. Um, but what are the implications of that actual thing? And for me, trying to understand God is relational. Um, I've been thinking about this for quite a few years. And I think the most accessible way I've been able to connect it is to just think about my people in my life. So I'm learning that usually what is truest about God is actually seen in creation as well. So I would extend the invitation to you. Think about the person you are closest to. And think about what it means to be in relationship with that person. Think about the things that cultivate 
that relationship and intimacy. Communication, language, presence, eye contact, touch, showing up and being engaged or not showing up and not being engaged or showing up and not being engaged. All of those things will have a cause and effect on the relationship. You cannot act without cause and effect there. And so if this is true about how we relate with one another, what if it's true that it's also how we relate to God? Because we are relational beings, invited into relationship with another relational being. And if that is true, we operate under the assumption that God communicates. God speaks. God hears. God sees. God knows. God acts. All of these things. And it happens in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's through the people in your life. Sometimes it's through silence. Sometimes it's through nature. Fill in the blank. But we operate under the assumption that to be in relationship with a relational God means we interact, means that intimacy and cultivating that is possible. And it is prayer that cultivates the relationship. Prayer is the language. Prayer is the communion and the connection with God. Prayer is the thing that makes the space to see and to be seen to hear and to be heard, to give and to receive. And I just think that's why Jesus was praying the way he was. All of the urgency and all of the emotion and all of the pain of that moment and the person he just wanted to be with was God, the Father, and the people he trusts the most. And they sort of sucked, but God... God heard, God saw, that prayer created the space for Jesus to just fall apart for a minute, because he's not going to be able to fall apart walking into what he's about to walk into. He was able to name what was real and say, oh, I just, there is nothing in me that wants to do this, but I trust you. I know you, I know you're good, so okay. The prayer created intimacy and cultivated the relationship as Jesus walked. So we pray because prayer cultivates relationship. Second, I would say we pray because prayer forms us. Prayer is about formation or said differently, prayer is about the moment that happens after the prayer. What you do in secret will come out in the light. It will indicate how you walk into something. In this respect, I would say that prayer is not magic. It takes effort. I get this picture of, of a river and of jagged rocks and the water flowing over those jagged rocks, and it takes thousands and thousands and thousands of years for those rocks to be smooth. 
And that is prayer as formation. And sometimes it's boring. And sometimes you have nothing to say. And sometimes you have too much to say. Sometimes it's not very emotional. But it's forming us. It's shaping us. And what I would say, the shape that we are brought back to in prayer as formation is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the Imago Dei, where humans are created in God's likeness. We are image bearers of the one true God. And it is prayer that reminds us of who we are and brings us back to that identity. It makes us a little bit more whole. Jane Berg on staff here a few weeks ago at our staff meeting, um, she brought uh, that Philippians 4 passage, be anxious for nothing but by prayer and petition, and that one that you know everyone likes to throw on you when you're in a hard time. <laughs> uh, but she brought that in, in the best way. Um, it's a, it's a verse about anxiety, but it's also a verse about prayer. And, and she brought it in the message translation, and it has been something that has stuck to me. And when we think about prayer as formation and being called back um, to who we are, I wanted to just read that over you and uh, encourage you to receive it. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Prayer opens the possibility to be formed and made just a little bit more whole. It gives us the opportunity to become and be reminded of the people that God has invited us to be. And when you live from that place, friends, you will see things differently. You will see yourself differently. You will see the people around you differently. Many of you know uh, I worked in a call center for six years before I became a pastor here. It was a long six years. <laughs> that was the kind of work um, that I felt like was eating my soul. <laughs> Not to be dramatic. <laughs> um, confession, I didn't pray. Not consistently, at least. I, it, it went back to, like, my view of prayer. Nothing would change. I knew I had to be there. I knew I had to stick it out. So why would I dig up the emotional energy to, to pray about something that just isn't going to change? It's not worth it. And man, I just wish I would have. On the last week uh, of working there, it was like the light at the end of the tunnel was blinding, and you're basking in it. It was so wonderful. And for those of you not versed in call center culture, uh, your main performance is numbers. So part of your numbers 
are you have random calls pulled, and people listen to them and then score you. And you have to you know, say someone's name four times and say thank you six times, and that's <laughs> just terrible. Um, so on the Wednesday before I was done, all of my call reviews were in. So it was like three days of no accountability. <laughs> Which, ooh, it was a little too much freedom uh, for someone who's burnt out and easily agitated by everyone. <laughs> and there was this uh, one woman in particular who was calling in asking where her pension check was. Uh, it was $100, and she was out of control, just screaming and calling me every name in the book. And you, th this is how you always knew it got good. You people! <laughs> when people would say that, it's like, OK, that's enough. <laughs> uh, you people are idiots, and how and blah, 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 blah. Ma'am, your check is in the mail. I, there's nothing I can do. Da, 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 all this stuff. And as she's escalating and getting all freaked out, I <laughs> did like the worst thing <laughs> you could ever do when someone is mad. I started laughing. <laughs> there is nothing worse than just being heated and someone laughs at you. It was terrible. And you know what? It felt really good. <laughs> felt really, really good. <laughs> For the first time in six years, I have ammunition. <laughs> it's pretty sick. Uh, <laughs> but I can't help but wonder, had I been in a healthy place, had I been praying and connected with the fact that she bears the image of God, maybe I would have seen a little bit different. Because what I saw was a terrible human being with no regard for anyone but herself. But maybe I would have seen what is a little more true, which is that she was just so deeply anxious and so afraid over $100. And where you have to be for $100 and not having it on the day that you thought you were going to have it, to treat someone like that? I can't imagine. And maybe had I been in a healthier place, I would have been able to respond the way God might respond to us when we come distraught and anxious and belligerent and angry. God doesn't laugh. He just doesn't. He says, I see you. I hear you. Remember, you are loved. You are made in my image. And you are secure. I will protect you and provide for you. In our text, I think about this moment. The text says the hour is approaching and Jesus is about to be betrayed by his best friends the people he trusts the most. He's about to suffer at the hands of his own creation. And maybe, just maybe, the stopping, the naming, 
everything that he's doing in this moment before he's about to walk towards something terrible, maybe it's dictating and shaping how he is walking. Maybe it gives him the strength and the big picture that he needs to do what he does. And so we pray because prayer forms us. And third, I would say we pray because prayer is a catalyst. Prayer does something. There is something so true about the interplay of God and creation. And when creation calls out a need and God moves, it happens. People are healed. People are changed. Things that were wrong are made right. Places that where injustice reigns now have the light of justice dwelling. It happens. God moves. And the scriptures actually talk about prayer more frequently as that. If you just type in one of those internet Bibles, prayer, all of these references come up. Like this, Numbers 11.2. When the people cried to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.27. I prayed for this boy, and the Lord has given me the request that I asked of him. Jeremiah 29.12-14. When the people are in exile, when you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. When you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul, I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. Then I will reverse your plight and will regather you from the nations and all the places where I have exiled you. I will bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. Action, healing, Unmet desire fulfilled, justice, response, an interplay between bringing desire and request and naming what they see and God responding. And I'm not saying that God waits to be asked before he moves, but there is something to say about participation. It is as if God is scanning the room, looking to meet eyes with someone. And in that moment, face to face with God, when his people are saying, justice there, peace here, it's as if God is saying, well spotted. I will go there. I will do that. Thanks for helping. Why would Jesus pray the way he did with that kind of urgency if God doesn't move and respond to the cry of creation. Why would Jesus say, this is how you are to do it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, giving the people of God an opportunity to invite the kingdom of God on earth. We're asking for it, and then God moves. One of the more humbling moments uh, from our trip this past week in the Dominican was when we were out as groups doing prayer walks. Now, prayer walks, friends, it means going door to door and asking people 
if we can pray for them and asking them if they know Jesus. And for me, <laughs> I get scared. I don't like doing that stuff. Uh, I tend to be really critical of that method of evangelism, and I don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. You're pushing your way. Like, we're Americans uh, going in to your house, and you don't know what we're saying, and we're kind of just staring at you. It feels very uncomfortable for me. But it was fascinating because things happened. We came across this man who was in a park named Jonathan. He had been in an accident three months prior. And he had been hospitalized. It was a pretty traumatic accident where he was hit by a bus when he was on his motorcycle. After, during his recovery, he began to drink pretty heavily, and addiction started to take root in his life. And this is the man we encountered. And it was beautiful because Francisco, one of our translators, was talking to him, and he was just saying things like, I know God has a plan for me, and I feel like you being here is God moving more or less. So we invited him to church. It seemed like he was just eager to be received. We invited him to church that night and uh, decided we would meet up with him at 7 at the park. So a group of folks went out and to meet him and bring him, and Jonathan wasn't there. And, you know, I think for a lot of us it was sort of like, okay, yeah, you have a choice, but we really want you to be here. So the next day, uh, we went on and did our ministry for the day, and we had a goodbye service at the end, which, man, if you thought Minnesotans had long goodbyes, <laughs> Dominicans have us beat. <laughs> it was a very long goodbye service where they say goodbye to us, and we say goodbye to them, and it was wonderful. Uh, but sure enough, Jonathan comes walking in on his crutches, and we all see him, and we are all just delighted that this man is in our presence, and he sits down, and, and he looks right away at Elaine, one of our own Elaine, Tim Check, and pulls out a bottle of booze and says, can you dump this out anywhere for me? And Elaine said, yes, I'd be happy to do that. And so he was invited forward, and, and we prayed for him, and he invited Jesus to, to change his life. It was this beautiful, vulnerable moment that we all were bearing witness to, where God broke through, where God saw, where it was time. And as I was bearing witness to the beauty of this, I couldn't help but think, about the reality of battling addiction. So I prayed, God, keep doing that. Because the truth is we all need God to break in more than once. 
We all need God to move mightily, more than once, sometimes with the same things. <laughs> so I don't know if you know, but in the back, there are candles um, that you can light as prayers for people. And I think I just sensed this invitation every week as we gather to light a candle for Jonathan. So I would invite you to pray with me for strength that God keeps showing up in mighty ways and that God does that in our lives too. Sorry, <laughs> didn't think I'd cry. <laughs> so we pray because God moves and he hears and he does stuff. So I want to invite John Mark and the band forward. Uh, and we are going to enter a time of response together. Uh, we are going to take a moment of silence, knowing that God keeps speaking even when the preacher stops. And then we'll sing together. And during that time of response, you are invited to stand and to sit, to kneel. Our prayer team is available. And I would just encourage, God moves in prayer. And so if there are things that you are holding, whether they are heavy or light, um, we invite you to bear witness to that with someone. So pray with me, friends. God, thank you that prayer is bigger than us just being changed. And even though that is so good and so beautiful that, that you use prayer to make us into who you want us to be, thank you that you are a God that hears and that acts on our behalf. And so I ask that you would do that for each of us over and over and over again because we so desperately need it. Thank you that you are good. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, may we be a people that learns how to pray. May you know intimacy with God that you have never known before. May you be called back and defined by the image of God that you bear. May you know that God is on the move. That he breaks through. Friends, go in peace. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.